0: Well, happy new year, everyone. This is Max and welcome to the first Equals podcast for 2021. Happy new
1: year, everyone. This is Nabil. We're speaking today about something we're all wondering about, which is when will I be getting a vaccine? But before we get there, Max, you had a good Christmas, fully rested?
0: Yeah, it was a great Christmas. Thanks. Uh, Very quiet. I think a highlight for me was seeing Equals in the... uh, podcast charts uh, apple podcast yeah. charts which was quite exciting top 20 top 20 in the uk mate oh well, let's be specific it was actually number 21 the and it was the uh, politics and government top 21
1: but still you're still. such a stickler for the truth man
0: uh, yeah maybe maybe but anyway yeah, that was good and it's great to see people listening and i think it was a fantastic episode with uh christina Figueres about climate change so yeah great really really inspiring
1: it really was. And, and and it gave me a lot of hope as well for 2021. Max, I was reflecting, you know, what could we be looking back at a year from now? Could we be seeing, you know, factories around the world pumping out vaccines, getting them to people? Could we be seeing, you know, a big, ambitious climate agreement? Could we be seeing big action to fight inequality? You know, I'm a bit hopeful for 2021.
0: Uh, yes, I mean, I probably, I've got to say, I I am finding it hard to be hopeful in these Dark days here in the UK, the most infected country in the world at the moment and real problems, Uh, but also those scenes from the Capitol building and you know, so far, 2021 is looking pretty dark. I think we've got to be honest.
1: Yeah, we've we've started off with an insurrection and, and, uh, and, and, and fascism out on the streets. But, you know, it, it's, it's all to play for, isn't it? Maybe things will get better after January the 20th and the inauguration. But, Max, so much is this year going to be coming down to that issue of the deployment of a vaccine. And that's why we wanted to speak about it today.
0: Yeah, so we're going to hear from three people working very closely on the People's Vaccine campaign, which is a fantastic campaign. Uh, listeners should get involved in uh, if you haven't already, uh, fighting for vaccine access uh, for everyone everywhere, and particularly fighting big pharmaceutical profit. So uh, yeah, that's going to be really interesting.
1: Yeah, so we'll be kicking off speaking to Dr. Moga Kamalyani and to Anna Marriott for that for our interview. Now, Dr. Moga uh, has been brilliant over the years. She's really been on the front lines fighting for access to medicines really at the fore of this campaign today seen through hiv aids
0: and we're also going to be hearing from anna who's also an amazing health advocate and a scourge of the world bank uh and has some real insights on this we're going to (laughs) talk to talk to them together so it's going to be a, a great conversation a great update on where we are on the people's vaccine
1: Absolutely. And we look forward to wrapping up as well with Nico Luciani, really been at the fore of work on human rights. He's helping to lead efforts for a people's vaccine in the United States, you know, pushing Joe Biden, President Joe Biden on a people's vaccine.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a great episode. Let's get on with it. Let's do it.
1: Hi, and welcome, Moga. Welcome, Anna, to Equals. It's a a real honour to have you both on as as dear friends, but real kind of warriors for this people's vaccine.
2: Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here.
0: Brilliant. So, I think I've got the first question. So, um, I mean, Anna, here in the UK, it's been amazing to see the vaccines start to roll out, you know, see the amazing pictures of uh, all these elderly people getting protected. And it, you start to feel a little bit of hope, although obviously it's tempered by the big rise in cases, but some hope that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Can you talk us through? when you think people around the world are likely to see a similar kind of level of hope and possibly get a vaccine?
2: It's incredibly important that we turn our attention to the vaccine access in other countries and unfortunately we have some big, big problems there Sorry, my kids have just opened the door um, <laughs> I really need you guys to be quiet, okay? <laughs> Lucky that didn't happen uh, on CNN Um <laughs> Okay, um, so as part of the People's Vaccine Alliance, we looked at the deals that have been done across the globe towards the close of of last year. And we found that unless we see an urgent change of direction on the part of rich country governments um, and pharmaceutical corporations, nine out of 10 people in the poorest countries are set to miss out on a vaccine this year. Um, And on that, we have two big problems. Firstly, we have a supply problem. Not enough um, vaccines are being made across the world. And secondly, that the vaccines that are available are being pre-booked by rich nations. Um, In fact, rich nations now have on average um, around enough vaccines to vaccinate their entire populations around three times over.
0: Wow. So a real problem of vaccine hoarding.
2: Absolutely. But, but combined with a insufficient supply. And unless we fix that supply problem, we're going to see this vast inequality in access to vaccines. Um, and, and unfortunately, I think on, on the pace that we're seeing right now, we're not going to see access increasing substantially for years to come in those poorest countries
0: and what are the supply blockages i mean is not enough factories not enough fridges what what's what's the problem
2: so fundamentally it's coming down to the fact that these vaccines are currently under the private ownership of individual pharmaceutical corporations and no one company has the capacity to produce for the world um, it never has had to before. We're in unprecedented times. Um, the need for a vaccine is global and um, and urgent. So what we need to see is those pharmaceutical corporations sharing their vaccine recipes, um, sharing the technology um, to make those vaccines openly um, in an open and free way so that more manufacturers can get on board in the global effort to scale up, ramp up that production, and if you like, flood the world with cheap, safe and effective vaccines so, so that everybody can have access and we can end this crisis as, as quickly as possible.
1: Anna, you, you've, you've put that really clearly. And, and And let me just bridge there now to MOGA as we just try to understand precisely what exactly needs to, needs to happen. And Moga, let me put it this way. And I know you've, you're working on this people's vaccine issue. You've worked on these issues on access to medicines for many, many years. Let me put it this way. You know, you're sat there at the table. You've got an audience now, the CEOs of AstraZeneca, of Moderna, of Pfizer, they're sat right there in front of you. What do you ask them to do?
3: I think I will just say, let's look at the facts. So this is not about my opinion or your opinion. This is about the facts. So the fact is, we are in a pandemic. That pandemic is not not only um, causing more, you know, death and and, um, uh, illness and, uh, you know, worries and public health problems, but it actually causing economic problems, which sooner or later will affect you as companies and will affect um, your workers. So, so that's a fact. The second fact is that given that it is um, a big pandemic that the world hasn't faced um, before at that scale um, and that depth and for that long, don't you think that we need massive and creative solutions? Third fact is that not one company, including all of you can produce enough vaccines to the world, the whole world. Next fact, given that we don't have enough vaccines at the moment, we'll have to prioritise. So you need massive and massive doses. Now, massive doses in normal life, it will mean more doses, more volume basically means more profit in normal life. Well, we're not in normal life now. So more doses are absolutely needed, but not to make more profit, more doses to save lives so that life can go back. The other fact is the public health imperative in the sense of the longer you leave the virus kind of, uh, you know, jumping around in the planet, the more chances we have for mutations. We don't know if tomorrow's mutations, your current vaccines, or even adaptation of your current vaccines would work, you know, to be effective against these mutations. So from a public health ground, we do need to... Do the supply, like what Anna talked about. This is the biggest problem, the supply.
1: You and Anna have spoken here about sharing. You know, in simple terms, how does that actually happen? Is it, you know, I've heard, you know, we've we've heard about the World Trade Organization and there have been decisions there to suspend patent rights. There's also this pool, this COVID technology access pool at the World Health Organization. Could you just explain to us what's going on there?
3: So on the World Trade Organization, there was a um, proposal from South Africa and India to for a temporary um, waiver on intellectual property related to COVID tools, so vaccines and other things. and that, so that what would that do? It would allow uh, companies, other companies to produce the vaccine or a med- or a medicine if there's a medicine without worrying about, you know, fighting intellectual property with with the originator companies. We tend to forget that it's not one vaccine, one patent. It's not like that. There are are drugs that have 700 patents. So you have to go around and find who owns the 700 and and kind of negotiate all, all that. But if you have a waiver, you don't have to worry about that. So that's a waiver. Um, the pool is really based on an existing thing. It's not a new invention, by the way. The pool has been used in making aeroplanes and making other technologies. But it's also in terms of medicines. We do have the medicine patent pool, which deals with HIV and now expanded to TB and hepatitis C drugs. And basically, it the way it works is like a, a one-stop shop where... Companies that hold intellectual property license this intellectual property to the pool. The pool sub-license, so basically negotiate licenses with companies, with other companies, um, in the case of HIV, generic companies, who can produce under this license, and then WHO pre-qualifies, so basically check the quality of the product. So we sort out the quality. In terms of the vaccines, they're slightly different or, or kind of a little bit, more sophisticated, if you like, because they are biological products. They're not chemical molecules. So therefore, what you need, you need two things. You need intellectual property rights to be waived or to be licensed, but also you need the technology to be transferred. So you need the, the, the company to put, or the research institution, for that matter, to put all that in the pool so that technology can be transferred.
1: Got it. Thank you for that. So that means that if I'm a pharma producer in Brazil or in South Africa or in Pakistan, and then the pharma companies which currently hold the patents, hold the intellectual property rights, hold the know-how, are part of this pool, I can then get sub-licensed to also make the vaccine, right? And make tens and hundreds of millions of those to reach people. Is that is that right?
3: That is right. If you are a company... That actually can do that. You might need a little bit of um, technological development, I and mean, it's not. It, I, you know, I, <laughs> I can't kind of get a license and do it in my backyard. So this is the issue about quality. Everybody worries. Oh, any company can? No, not any company can make it. It's companies that, and the, and yes, admittedly, there's not like uh, hundreds of thousands of companies that can produce vaccines in the world, but there are some.
0: I mean I think uh, this all sounds very nice um but I I I think a lot of people would probably say that it's a bit idealistic that these big firms are going to share their technology share their IP and what what do you say to those who, who say it's surely it's fair that you know corporations that are making the vaccine should be allowed to make some money in fact they have to make some money to exist or else we wouldn't have a pharmaceutical industry let me, Anna, let me ask you that one because uh, Mogra's just been explaining.
2: So, I guess the, the first thing I'd say is that everybody really has to remember how much public money has gone in, how much taxpayers' money has gone in for the research and development and the manufacturing of these vaccines. You know, if we look just at um, Moderna, Pfizer, and, and AstraZeneca, Oxford you know we're we're talking about over five billion dollars of taxpayers' money that have gone in to those vaccines, so to suggest that this is a gift from pharmaceutical corporations is is to really mislead the facts of what is responsible for the you know this really unprecedented speed of development of the of these vaccines and and the giant leaps that have been made and yes, i mean i think it's it's absolutely right for these pharmaceutical corporations to recover their costs. Um, For that to happen, they need to be transparent about what those costs are. And we need independent verification of what those costs are. We're not in a place like that right now. But I'd also turn your question on its head and and say, is it really realistic that pharma pharmaceutical corporations can cling on to their monopolies their private ownership of these vaccine recipes in the face of the mounting cost of this crisis for the for the global economy which we know is running into the trillions you know is it realistic that these artificial barriers currently limiting the production of the vaccine will be allowed to remain with the growing understanding that even with a, a vaccine people in rich countries are not going to be safe until everybody else in the world is protected as well so i think i think it's unrealistic to to expect that things are never going to change i do think that things will eventually change i think the question is how soon and are, are we are we going to see pharmaceutical corporations voluntarily step forward and step away from business as usual. I hope they do. I don't necessarily think that they will. And I do think it will rest on the leadership from rich country governments to force
1: them to do that. What's been really interesting about Our discussion so far is that it's, you know, it's been about these big pharma companies in the UK, Europe, USA, Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca. Um, But we take a step back and we realise that there are other vaccine candidates and countries who are big players in all of this. The Russians have their vaccine, Sputnik V, there's a Chinese vaccine. You know, hearing from my family in Pakistan, you know, they're probably expecting to get the Chinese vaccine. And I heard about Argentina rolling out Sputnik V. Um, Moga, let me put this one to you. Are we looking the wrong way, possibly? Could we see a situation in which, you know, a mass produced Russian and Chinese vaccines reach billions of people?
3: Well, the thing is, uh, Russia is doing one vaccine. Um, China has four vaccines in clinical trials for phase three and already started selling And I think a number of countries, say in Africa, for example, and in the Middle East, they started to think, well, you know, what we're going to get from the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca or the COVAX, this uh, global um, uh, mechanism for delivering vaccine, what we're going to get, you know, are we going to wait forever? So they started already uh, making deals with China, particularly the Chinese vaccines, that are in in this process, they are based in old technology. What does that mean? It means tried and tested technology. So therefore they could be really good vaccines. And also the the thing that we, 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 we need to remember is China is able, Chinese companies are able to produce millions and millions of doses of vaccines. Now, the one problem, one fundamental problem with the Chinese vaccines and the Russian, for that matter, is that they don't publish data. So while we think it could be really effective, we don't have data to show that. So how can we, how can anybody say, yes, that's a wonderful vaccine? I mean, even in the the, 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 the um, regulatory authorities that authorise all these vaccines. By the way, are authorised on emergency basis. Whether it's Pfizer or China, um, it, it says it's the the vaccine is eighty six percent effective. The companies itself said it's seventy eight percent effective, and neither of them explained the difference. So this is the problem. We need data. And for the Russian vaccine, interestingly, you know, while it was criticized um, in the West, as it were, in Western media anyway, um, AstraZeneca decided that it's going with uh, um, Gamila, the, the Russian institute that produced the vaccine, and they're going to combine their vaccines and test the combination to see if it's more effective than separate vaccine, which is really interesting.
0: So, uh, what is the question for 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 both of you? But do keep it short. Let's go to Anna first. What gives you hope that we could get a people's vaccine in twenty twenty one? What 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 makes you hopeful as we start the year? So,
2: I guess the first thing I'd say is perhaps more a belief than a hope, because um, I firmly believe that it will become increasingly untenable for rich country governments to continue to stand on the side of pharmaceutical corporations in the face of these stark inequalities in access to a vaccine. Because let's be clear, unfortunately, I don't think it will be the moral argument that wins this thing. I think it will be those that realisation amongst publics and leaders in rich countries um, that we are gen- genuinely not safe until everybody's safe. But I think what gives me hope um, is that there is growing momentum on the side of a people's vaccine. Um, The UN Secretary General has backed it. Journalists are now starting to ask the right questions um, and uh, interrogating this issue much more robustly than before. The Pope over Christmas called out the need for fair access for a vaccine. And even the IMF and the World Bank are now making really clear that the the global economic recovery is dependent on fair
3: global vaccine access.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic, Anna. And, and Moga, are, are you feeling that same sense of hope as well?
3: Uh, yes. Although, to be honest, getting up in the morning, I don't think, do I have hope or not? I think, I just think that we've got to go, we've got to do it. And um and that's based on before this is deja vu for me, you see. I mean I lived through the the crisis of HIV when the medicine was in the north and the the death was in the south. this one we have <laughs> death in north and south, but the the vaccine is still in the north. so so yes, it's constant pressure that will get in. and I think the, the other thing that w- the more people get vaccinated in the north, the more they realize that I am vaccinated, they can, um, they they are receptive. They would become receptive to the idea of I am vaccinated. I'm okay. How about these people over there? So you get the solidarity. You get the solidarity, which is important.
1: That's an amazing rallying cry to to finish on. Thank you very much, Anna. Thank you very much, Moga.
0: Thanks, guys. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you.
1: max a really great interview Anna Moga. if you're listening thank you very much there's so much there to digest max but one of the things that's really clear to me is that this is big pharma versus the world for countries around the world even for companies around the world it's not in the interests to let big pharma decide the price decide who gets a vaccine ultimately decide the future
0: out of this pandemic definitely i mean it You know, big pharma has a lot to answer for, but also, you know, it's it's their job to pursue profits and shareholders, not a people's vaccine. Which is why the system too needs to change. I mean, maybe I've been talking too much to my kids, but it it it's a bit bit like asking a T. Rex to be a vegetarian or something. It's just it's not in their DNA. So we need a new system uh, if we're going to really see a people's vaccine. I think.
1: I think that's I think that's really a good way to put it, Max. But you know, you mentioned dinosaurs. Dinosaurs did go extinct and maybe through this crisis we see that exclusionary monopolistic model go extinct as well. Let the new system rise you know where people are really put before profits.
0: I think if not now then when you know in the teeth mm. of the global pandemic um, and I think critical to that is what what Joe Biden does, what happens in the US. So we're going to talk to Nico about this. So Nico, welcome to Equals. Um, we'd really like to know from you the kind of inside track of what you're hearing from Joe Biden and his team and, and just how optimistic you are that they can deliver on a people's vaccine.
4: Thanks, Max. Well, there's some signals for hope. I think it's very early on, obviously, but in terms of the personnel and the policy, we, we've seen some very interesting uh, developments. He, first of all, Biden is surrounding himself by a, a really excellent team on the COVID tax task force. The real focus on racial inequalities uh, under COVID, and a, a, an interesting mix of backgrounds and perspectives, where I, I think there's a lot of potential to get this done in terms of policies. I won't go into detail, but just, you know, just last week. Uh, a senior official of the Biden transition team said, we're going to use every lever we have uh, to create more vaccine. And he went on to say that going towards a Defense Production Act, where the government would have the the potential to really upscale production, he says this might be necessary because the current plan has the manufacturers ramping up across time, but it's not going to be enough. And so we see some really important um, and and I think hopeful signs from uh, this very early administration.
0: As a kind of follow up to that, what, how do you see, you know, we can contrast the kind of obscene vaccine nationalism of the Trump administration with the kind of vaccine diplomacy we're seeing from China and Russia and this engagement with the rest of the world on the vaccines issue. Where do you see the Biden administration in that direction? Can we see them kind of reengaging and in what way?
4: So there's no question that the Biden administration is going to rejoin the WHO uh, and they have been supporting, you know, more money for uh, the, the COVAX facility. And this is going to be really the test here. Um, is the Biden administration going to be tempted by a sort of America first light approach, which is to let's vaccinate all people in the United States. Uh, and give some crumbs to the rest of the world. I think that there's a there th- that temptation is there because let's be frank, the virus is completely out of control in the United States. We lost 4,000 people yesterday to this virus, another 4,000 today, another 4,000 tomorrow. The incoming administration is very aware that there's tremendous pain and suffering in this country and they need to get it under control uh, with limited resources uh, a lot of people are saying we need to get this under control here first before dealing with the rest of the world i think the beauty of a people's vaccine is you know it's not about uh, this Faustian bargain between vaccinating all people in some countries and vaccinating some people in all countries. But it's actually about vaccinating all people in all countries. And I think that's uh, that's where we're hoping the Biden administration could put its efforts. Um, and maybe, you, you know, when it comes to the question of breaking monopolies and sharing tech and know-how, they've given some, some early signals that this may be of interest to, to them. Um, the, the incoming Vice President Harris uh, actually supported some legislation in Congress a last term, which would get us partly there. And uh, obviously, this administration has a, a lot of executive control over, or making that happen. So there's there's some hope.
1: Thank you for that Nico. I think what's really interesting here as well is that what is in the uh, interests of big pharma companies and, and 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 American big pharma companies isn't necessarily in the interest of uh, you know the American private sector at large. In fact, it's the opposite. It's, it's not in their interest because I'm thinking of you know American businesses who rely on global trade, whose global supply chains rely on things made abroad. Do you think we could reasonably see the push for a people's vaccine becoming a real mainstream cause? Could we, you know, is this something that we could even unite business behind?
4: I think there's a lot of potential for igniting uh the business sector and support for a people's vaccine as well as, you know, investors, uh big asset managers, that see that actually um they have too much to lose in a vaccine exclusionary uh, model that we have now. If we continue to have pockets of, of this virus all over the world, um, it's going to cost uh, uh, you know business mightily, especially globally interconnected businesses that have to deal with supply chains or are reliant on you know air tr- uh, transport. A- and just from a macroeconomic perspective, Goldman Sachs, Called what they want to see is a kind of a vaccine-shaped recovery, and have talked about you know global economic growth between 2.5 and and three percent if the vaccine is actually universally available. That is a huge boost to business, and so I think the, the the business sector has really a question to to deal with: Do they move forward to support a people's vaccine to expand economic growth and really uh, iron out some of the, the the complications in their supply chains, or do they continue kind of to sacrifice the global economy at the altar of the protection of patent rights which uh, yeah which continues to be the model at present you see
1: you hear that max you know the world isn't so black and white you know there's you know lots of lots of colors there, and you know business on the side of good we could have business on the side of a people's vaccine
0: yes bill uh, it's good that you're speaking out for the the wider corporate sector and uh, <laughs> i think, great, I think we need some balance
1: here on equals
0: great you've got their interests at heart you know as a resident <laughs> neoliberal stooge on the, on the show yeah, yeah clearly
1: clearly clearly i'm just i'm just trying to win change for the world here but um nico this is you know these are some positive signals but it's also that you know we've been pushing now for a people's vaccine you know under a year you know the message is increasingly getting out there but You know, what's your sense? Is the lobbying, the pushing, is it having any impact at all?
4: You know, we've been nine months into this now, right? I was counting this morning. It's uh, flown by and also been a very long period. And I think a lot of the worries we had when we started uh, are there uh, and continue to be there. But we're also facing now a a really interesting point where it's gone viral, pun terribly intended. And people are talking about people's vaccine everywhere, including within business Uh, halls of uh, people we've talked to. I think that whether we're going to win this or not is a matter of time. It's not a matter of uh, if. Um, We've got the the right vision. We've got the right um, aims. And it's just a matter of how many lives will be lost, how many jobs will be lost, um, how many dreams will be lost. And I think people are realizing now, just now when the vaccines are starting to hit arms, how unequal the system is and how it needs to change. So I've seen, you know, just over the last month, tremendous support from organizations across the United States. You know, just last month, we had more than 100 high level leaders across the spectrum, public health experts, racial justice advocates, faith based and labor organizations, um, uh, Nobel laureate economists and, you know, entertainers and artists sign a public letter to Biden calling for a, a, a very clearly calling for a people's vaccine. Uh, and I think that's just the beginning of, uh, you know, the, the kind of the head of the spear in this campaign it's going to be opening up quite a bit uh, as we move into the next months when these inequities get even worse hopefully and, and i believe the public pressure for people's vaccine will get even stronger
0: i agree i agree it's a great way to end thanks so much for the for the us update and the inspiring words
4: great to be on
0: good luck in all your work
4: yeah
1: thanks nico and thanks everyone out there for joining us if you want to find out more about the people's vaccine um, we're on Twitter. It's at people's vaccine. Um, that's a Twitter handle. It's also peoplesvaccine.org. It really is the campaign of our time. So to find ways to to get behind that, we'll also be coming back to you in a couple of weeks for our next episode, timed with the uh, the Great Festival of Wealth, the Davos World Economic Forum, which which won't be in the mountains this year. It'll be online, but we'll be bringing you um, a bit of a billionaire. Uh, inequality special then
0: yeah it should be good looking forward to that our annual billionaire bashing and should be brilliant <laughs> all right thanks everybody speak to you next time
1: thank you